So um, this is the third Radio Electrique event. Um, basically, we have um, radio programs recorded in live spaces in Montreal. Uh, Martin Loft uh, is an Indigenous artist uh, who's been working for many years in various mediums um, and uh, has represented Indigenous struggle for land and for justice um, here um, on these lands, on these Mohawk territories, but also in support of Indigenous struggles around the world. Um, Martin is going to be showing some images um, in this uh, presentation uh, recorded for broadcast on CKUT radio. Um, and also will be speaking about his practice and his work. Um, so thank you so much, Martin, uh, for being here. So we're live. Yes. <laughs> we're live. We are live. All right. So uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, as uh, I was just saying, my name is uh, Martin Loft. That's my, uh, my English name, I suppose. My Mohawk name is Aguirre Nordo. Aguirre Nordo means a precious tree. So my mother always told me that I was, I was a very expensive tree, so I feel, uh, I feel special. Anyhow, I was born in Ganoage. Of course, everybody or some of you may know that Ganoage is on the south shore of, uh, of Montreal, just opposite um, Lachine. I was born and raised there, ran, ran the streets and swam in the canal and uh, sometimes in the river as well, the St. Lawrence. Wonderful, uh, wonderful experience living, living in Ganoage. Ganoag is uh, an old town, of course. It was um, founded, uh, and people came from the Mohawk Valley in about 1667, moved several times until we landed at Ganoage, where it is and has been uh, last several hundred years in 1716. So we have a long, a long um, and storied history uh, being involved in the fur trade uh, in the early days. Uh, being involved in uh, high steel construction. People may know of uh, Mohawks of high steel. Our people uh, became integral to that, that, had in, that industry and um, helped build many of the buildings and bridges right across North America. If you, I mean, to me, sometimes I think like you, you can't think of a, a bridge uh, or famous building that Mohawks didn't work on, you know, from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Empire State Building to the World Trade Center. It goes on and on. People, uh, you know, in Ganoage were uh, definitely survivors and found a way to 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 work, make a living, and uh, to prosper. You know, Ganoage, I would I would say, for many years has been one of the more prosperous uh, communities, uh, although over the years always under pressure from surrounding communities, uh, having land expropriated, having uh, the International Seaway uh, expropriate some of the best farmlands, <clears throat> having Hydro-Quebec um, crisscross the community with uh, high-powered uh, electrical wires. Uh, in the 1970s, there was a, believe it or not, and I, I was telling my, my son this, my daughter this uh, recently, uh, about Project Archipel. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Pro Project Archipel. Well, they nipped it in the bud in the 1970s. Hydro-Quebec wanted to dam the Lachine Canal. You know, the, the, Lachine, the Lachine Rapids. The Lachine Rapids, were, they were going to design this, uh, this super high-tech underwater turbine system that was going to like uh, light up Montreal <laughs> kind of deal. And they were going to use the uh, Project Archipel 
and they were going to expropriate more land. So our, our community has been crisscrossed and, and shrunk and uh, occasionally land is returned. And so it's, 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 a real, uh, it's a real mess sometimes, but people um, in Ganawaga are, are, are there for a purpose. We are, you know, the people, uh, Ganyagahaga, people of the Flint, our role is as uh, keepers of the western, of the eastern door. And that's that's who we are. We we mine the eastern door, and if anything happens to the east, um, people stand up, and, and people uh, have have done that for uh, in my lifetime. We always say like every 15 to 20 years, there's an issue, there's an is incident that uh, push comes to shove, and and people stand up and they say enough is enough, and um, you know 1990 was that. Um, you know, even what's going on in Kanasadage right now with, uh, with some of the lands that are, are being uh, turned into housing and condos and, and what have you. But uh, like I said, we are, uh, we're a resilient people and, you know, we're proud of who we are. And, and people move on, good or bad or indifferent. Uh, you know, tomorrow is another day and people will find a way to, uh, to survive. <clears throat> we have, uh, you know, in our community, I would say an artistic um, uh, culture, in a sense. You know, there are enough people who can who can do things, and I'd say that um, if if you run into Mohawks who are artists or craftspeople, it's like, you know, just pick up just pick up the tools. You know, just pick up the beads, and that stuff just kind of like, you know, rushes out. There's so many people who uh, who who say, for instance, never never carved before. You know, they get hurt on the job, and all of a sudden they're laid up, and they hey, I'm going to carve. <laughs> and they start carving, and you say, like, holy mackerel, how did you never not carve? You know, how did you never not do this? Uh, how did you never not, you know, how, how did you become, you know, a master basket maker after, like, uh, you know, working, being in the military, doing construction, and, and all of a sudden you, uh, you do? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, you know, there's something to be said, I wouldn't say 100%, you know, about uh, genetic memory, but I would say some of that stuff is, is there in the back of our reptilian brain or whatever, and it just, it just, comes, uh, it just comes forth, and, and we you know, try to speak the truth, try to speak about uh, what, what our, uh, our lives are like and what you know, we, we find interesting, and you know, hopefully... Um, you know, audiences and people who like art will find interesting too, and I think that's that's pretty much um, you know been the case in in you know whether it's you know literature, poetry, uh, painting, drawing, printmaking, filmmaking. You know, there's there's we have an abundance of uh, creative people, and you know mo many of them are are making their uh, their way in the world right now. I myself, I I think about. Um, you know, young people who who didn't get a you know a leg up, didn't get a start. Um, I worked at our cultural center, the Ganyagahaga Ungwawana Raudijokwa Language and Cultural Center, for 27, close to 28 years, and that was one of my uh, my pet projects, kind of deal, is to give young artists um, their first show. You know, to get get them interested in showing their art, you know, saying that, you know, they can create beautiful stuff, they can create interesting stuff, they could create ugly stuff, you know, that freaks people out, you know, we had, uh, we had a show one year around Halloween, 
and we had a, um, a person who was like totally 100% like uh, Freddy Krueger and the whole deal and created the most grotesque masks, you know, and it, it was a hit. The kids loved it. It was scary and it had uh, artistic merit, you know, people, uh, people responded to it. Of course, there are many traditional artists, people who, who paint and sculpt uh, stories that are uh, closely connected to our history <clears throat> and to our culture. Uh, and they're, they're people who do um, you know, experimental contemporary work that you know, have um, followings and gallery shows and museum shows um, in Canada and, and around the world kind of deal. Um, <clears throat> my own family, I would say not many artists per se. My sister is a, is a, is a famous or well-known bead worker. She, she teaches uh, Mohawk Noun uh, to the children in the, in the elementary schools. Uh, my dad was a tinkerer. He always uh, carved, he always kind of painted, he always did these little things that, you know, of course, I would look over my shoulder and say, hey, that is, that is really cool, you know, I'm proud to see that, you know, you can, you can do these things and get a reaction. And um, it, it probably, you know, the, the, the seed that uh, was planted all those, all those years ago, and, um, you know, I, I kind of uh, pursued it. I studied um, in school. I went to, uh, to Dawson and then to Concordia, and I kind of self-taught myself, and I, I've done many workshops with artists, and I've, um, you know, continued to try to grow as um, as a creative person, and that, you know, it, it kind of, um, if you're an artist, I think artists know what I'm talking about, it kind of like it feeds your soul, you know, it's like you learn something, you make it, you do it, you know, you put it up there, people love it or hate it, you know, but I think you've, um, you've done your part, you created something, you know, and hopefully, uh, it goes into the, the history of uh, what people are interested in art. It may be saved forever. It may uh, may turn to dust, and no one no one will uh, no one re will remember it in 50 years. I had a friend of mine who was a poet, and he's published many books, and even he won some big awards and everything. And he died about two years ago. And he says, "Well, I'm happy with being a minor poet." And I said, "You're not a minor poet. I mean, you've you've achieved." you know, in the people who like your work, like greatness, immortality, you'll live forever. You know, your words will live forever. And he says, oh, I'm happy with, you know, being what, uh, you know, the, the world of uh, poetry would, would still consider, you know, a minor poet, you know, who, 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 who toiled away in, in, in the basement of, uh, you know, his, his uh, artistic uh, tome, um, that kind of deal. Um, like I told the other fellow that uh, was here earlier, your, your audience isn't, uh, hasn't, hasn't met your, your friend, who was a photographer. Uh, I started out as a photographer. I, I um, of course, played with cameras, with no film when I was a kid, ran around the house taking imaginary pictures. And um, you know, I bought my first camera when I was <clears throat> 17, um, an old German uh, Zenit E. I don't know if anybody's familiar with uh, the old German cameras. Uh, German, uh, Russian camera, sorry, a Russian camera, Zenity, um, and I, I took many photos, and <clears throat> I taught myself to, to develop film, and went on to study, 
and I had a great interest. And of course, I wanted to be, uh, you know, Richard Avedon or uh, uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson. I wanted to be, you know, a National Geographic photographer and everything. But I think once you you do it for a while, you know, you kind of, um, you know, you say, well, that that isn't everything that that there is. You know, there's there's all kinds of uh, directions and all kinds of things that, that might uh, interest you. Um, this first photo oh, is uh, of Ira Benedict. He was uh, um, a turtle clan chief in, in Akwazasne. He's uh, the, the uncle of another famous uh, Mohawk from Akwazasne, Ernie Benedict, who was uh, a ritualist and a faith keeper in the longhouse and a, and a chief in the, um, a traditional chief in, in the Iroquois Confederacy. And this was taken about in about 1985. He's a very, very nice man. In fact, I made a, I made a carving. I made a, a plate, a print of, uh, of, this, of this photo. He was a very, uh, very interesting man and a powerful man. Um, I wouldn't say that he conjured them up, but he regularly would see um, the fireball phenomenon. Have you ever heard of a fireball? A fireball is like a, is a lightning bolt that... that is an electrical charge that comes from the sky, hits the ground, but doesn't like dissipate, doesn't like char or burn. It kind of turns into a ball, and it and it, it runs around properties. And he, people say, you know that if 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 you have um, you have power, you have <laughs> whatever. You see a lot of them. I've never seen one myself, but apparently, you know, he would he would be able to see. I remember I remember on that day him telling us about. How the fireballs were were scattering and running along the fences, and it was really quite uh, quite fantastic. So, this is uh, this is a fellow from Makuzasne's. His nickname was Turkey, and um, what's interesting about him is um, again too, you know, the ripples of of um, of uh, what people say or do or the actions they take. He was an eccentric man that would sit on the corner <coughs> in Akwazasne and the cars would go by and apparently he, he didn't speak much English so he spoke mostly Mohawk and he would joke and he would uh, whatever and his favorite thing to do would when cars went by he would go like this. <laughs> now you can go to powwows, you can go to Iroquois social dances everywhere, and you hear singers, and then someone comes by, he thinks he's a big, big shot. <laughs> so it's similar to the middle finger, but it also has more to do with uh, male genital. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, and it, and it all is traced back to this, this fellow. Anyway, it's hilarious. I found it hilarious at the time. So this is... Uh, Nipa. Nipa was uh, the Native Indian Inuit Photographers Association. Uh, we founded it in 85 in Hamilton, Ontario, of all places in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, it was from 85 to 2000. It uh, was the first indigenous photographers um, kind of collective co-op association that um, um, presented work in a gallery setting and also had satellite exhibitions that went 
and traveled right across Canada. The, the, the original uh, exhibition was uh, called Visions, and Visions went from Newfoundland to British Columbia in between 85 and 87, and uh, really kind of um, impacted Indigenous art, Indigenous artists in a real and, uh, and, and meaningful way. <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, about a year ago, I attended a conference uh, that um, Yves Seaweed Duran um, held in, at the University of uh, Quebec and, and so on. He brought artists and curators from across Canada uh, to Montreal. And I sat down and I was discussing uh, art and so on. And it hit me, you know, that I'd read an article in, um, I think it was The Walrus, The Walrus magazine. Are you familiar, are you familiar with The Walrus? It's an online uh, thing. And it was a beautiful story, and I read it. I was like, wow. I said, influential indigenous arts organizations of the 1980s. And I, 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 I got on, I was reading, and they never said a word about our organization. Um, you know, the organization went on to have exhibitions at the Old Museum of Civilization, the, the, the Smithsonian in Washington, the Royal Ontario Museum, the BC, the, the um, the National Art Center in, in Thunder Bay. It was an influential and amazing organization. And um, many people who today have uh, substantial careers, you know, and are, 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 are working in the museum setting, in the gallery setting, and, you know, professors of art and everything have had, uh, have had uh, an association with, uh, with this organization. The original exhibition was Visions. And the Indian Arts Center, well, it was called the Indian Arts Center now, it's called the Indigenous Arts Center now, in Gatineau uh, Hall, <clears throat> Quebec, had the, the foresight, the, the brilliance, I suppose, to buy the exhibition. They bought all the pieces, and what that, was, that afforded uh, the exhibition to go into their collection and to be treated like uh, with curators' gloves and to be maintained in a in a humid, um, free environment or the, or the proper humidity and under all of these circumstances. Um, and occasionally, um, uh, museums and uh, embassies around the world call out for exhibitions and they, I guess they must get a, a catalog and, oh, well, there's a photographer. So occasionally it goes out on the road. And um, anyway, it's been in there for 30 years and connected to the story about the... Uh, influential um, indigenous arts organization that had an impact, but didn't show up in this, <laughs> this great article. Jeez, um, uh, I forget her name now. She's a curator from the uh, McMaster Art Gallery. She's a young indigenous uh, artist who's also a curator who has a special interest in photography and representation and how some you know, it could be sculpture, it could be advertising, how Indigenous people are represented. <clears throat> well, she has an interest in how Indigenous people are represented in photography. She was going through the books and going through the archives and she discovered this exhibition. It was like, holy mackerel. It's as though all, and, and today, Native photography, Indigenous photography, I think is, is some of the most interesting things that are happening out there that are like, you know, like all these, you know, Canadian hotshots who were big in the 70s and 80s 
and even in the 90s, you know, they're, they're recognizing that there's like something really like explosive happening. And so she said, it's, it's like young people today are cut off even from some aspects of our own history. You know, that our history isn't being passed on to the next generation. And she was saying, it's like they're thinking, um, well, we invented this stuff. We invented the wheel, you know, all of this stuff. And they say, well, no, there were people who were doing this. Anyway, make a long story short, she discovered the exhibition. She discovered uh, when, in 2000, uh, our organization disbanded. <clears throat> All of, the, uh, all of the records, all of the files, all of the documents uh, were donated to the Hamilton Artists, Inc., which is a, an artist collective that uh, they are well established. They've been around for like 50 years, you know, they've been around for a long time. Well, what's interesting, the organization started, believe it or not, from the Garbage Men's Union in, in Hamilton. The, gar the garbage men in Hamilton, Ontario, their union donated most of the money to, to host a conference and to feed people and everything. It was like just the most like, you got the, it's like, holy man, the garbage men, <laughs> they're like right on. I don't know what's happened to their union now. They were a little stronger, I guess, back in the day. Steel was actually still, still going and now Hamilton I don't even know if they're still making steel, or it might be even like on a, on a very low level. But anyhow, she discovered this work, and um, she um, yeah, she dis she discovered this work, and now there was an exhibition in Hamilton. It should be coming to Montreal in a year or so. She's looking at doing a book, a documentary, uh, a real, and then and then the university is going to be uh, housing, I believe the archives, so all of the material that was, was produced over 15 years, all of that stuff will be put, in, um, will be put in, in, in their collection and they'll look after it for, again, for future generations. When we're, we're long gone, it'll, it'll still be there, kept in, in, in decent, uh, decent condition. <coughs> you know, so that's, uh, in 1985, the same year, the, um, the, the Woodland Cultural Center in uh, Brantford they have had they had their well it was called the Indian Art the Indian Art uh, ex, uh, exhibition. Um, I believe this was their 25th year in '85. So they started so '85 take about 25 years. So that's like the 1960s. Um, yeah, 60s. Yeah, 60. 1960. They had their inaugural Indian Art exhibition, and in Eastern Canada, um, you know, Tom Hill. I don't know if you know Tom Hill, but he's He's a famous Seneca a painter and curator, and uh, if you if you go if you Google Indian art, bing, <laughs> his name comes Native art. He was involved in in the um, the uh, in Expo '67 at the the, the Indigenous uh, Pavilion, which was a groundbreaking uh, pavilion that uh, Canada uh, gave or Canada gave Canada allowed. No, I didn't say that. So the indigenous people in Canada said, we're, we're gonna be including a, a pavilion that is gonna tell our story. One of the first times that you know, people said, you know, it's been like uh, 80 years, you've been taking our kids, you know, sending them to, re and there were still residential schools going strong. You know, religious orders were, were, uh, were um, <clears throat> you know, 
our, our, our spirituality was under attack, our land was being stolen, our, you know, on and on and on. So um, Tom was in, involved in that as, as a curator. <clears throat> Anyhow, in 85, that was the first year that, uh, that Indian art, the annual Indian art exhibition, which um, in the Northeast, in, 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 in Eastern Canada, was like one of the premier uh, centers for showing indigenous art. So all, all the big names, big names in indigenous art, Canadians barely know uh, many of them, um, were in this show. And that was the first year that photography was included in, in this exhibition. So I had, I had pieces in there. A number of other, other artists as well had pieces. <clears throat> and I think ever, every year since then, Photography was included, and the whole field of uh, indigenous photography and representation kind of like blew up in that, in that sense. This was a series I did when I was at Concordia, and I worked at the, the Native Friendship Center in Montreal. It used to be across from the Montreal General. <clears throat> did you ever see Smoke Signals? The movie Smoke Signals? That is uh, Evan Adams. Evan Adams? He was studying uh, medicine at McGill in, in 85. He was one of, I probably met the fifth or sixth person that I, I took, uh, I made portraits of. Yeah. So I did about, I would say, 50 to 75 portraits. And uh, sadly, well, the ones that went to the Indian Art Center, I, I, I recall they bought about eight of them. So they have eight of them. And... I have in my own collection probably 30 of them. So there's about 40 of them that are gone. Um, I, had, I had a fire, I had a flood, and I moved, I would say, five times. So these things happen when you, uh, when you move. So I was thinking in my mind about doing a wet plate collodion treatment similar to, to these portraits. <clears throat> so this is, one, this is one of my etchings. It's a photo etching that I did uh, recently. And I apologize for the quality of the slide. But uh, I, I, believe, I believe in recycling. You believe in recycling? I recycle. <laughs> so I, I use certain images, you know, and I try to reconfigure them, double them up, and kind of like you know, mess with them to kind of like, um, you know, suit whatever I'm, I'm doing. And that was uh, the circle of chiefs. And then in the center is a, um, a smoke dancer. So this is, uh, and then around it are um, trees, of course, branches that I, in Photoshop, I recomposed and I kind of made almost like a wreath that, that goes around and you kind of like, emerges, emerges from, from this. Okay, go on. Yeah. And this is Turtle Island and corn and the Mother Moon and the, uh, the designs of um, the celestial trees and earth and, and so on. That is quite common in, in beadwork. So this is uh, kind of like an abstract take on a portrait, a family portrait of Sitting Bull and his family. Yeah. 
and with with three feathers and that was uh using soft ground you ever use soft ground um it's kind of um it's almost like um like a petroleum jelly that you put on a plate and then you, you sandwich sandwich uh, well in this case feathers and as you sandwich it it removes the petroleum jelly and you move it away and those are the areas when you put it into the bath the etching uh, bath it bites into it and it creates uh, its image so this is uh, my ode to uh, to Kodak Kodak film. You see the Kodak film. <laughs> so a, bun a bunch of things. This is a, a corn mask, which is a healer. Of course, sitting bull, surrounded by like bullet holes. And on the bottom, there's a row of uh, kidney beans from my garden, and um, porcupine kind of. Um, choker type necklace, my Kodak thing, an eagle, and then spattering, smattering of dirt. And there's this, over here is actually a, a Canadian stamp. And uh, at the time, I never thought about doing um, Photoshop. You know, I mean, I didn't even, I didn't, I never even knew what Photoshop was, but when I look at it now, it's like, it looks almost like, like something that I would have done in, in a computer, that I would have, you know, kind of had things focused, out of focus, kind of, you know, off kilter, balanced, you know. Um, but really what it was, was I, I put it onto a board and I, I did a, like a, um, what do they call those things? Um, well, a collage, but it's, it's also found objects. You can make, what do they, an assemblage, an assemblage, an assemblage that you can create things you know, from other things to reimagine, you know, their uses and, and so on. So that's basically what it is. So this is actually a three-dimensional corn mask, a miniature one. And then the beans are real, the choker is real, the dirt is real. Yeah. And it's a photo etching. <clears throat> it's a photo etching. So this, this is the final print over here. And that's kind of how I got to it. This is uh, a painting that was uh, oh, that was uh, created by the artist. It's a self-portrait. Jeez, I know. I wish I'd. Um, so I'm getting old. I'm having a senior moment here. Anyhow, he's he's a, an artist from um, from Wandage. He's a, he's one of the earliest um, painters, indigenous painters that you know actually. Like and I believe this was painted in about the 1840s. He was a contemporary of um, Cornelius Krigoff. You familiar with Krigoff? Krigoff was a painter in Montreal that painted Quebecois scenes, but had an interest in indigenous people. And it gets to that idea of uh, representation. You know that he represented Quebecois people. He represented uh, indigenous people. He's a very good artist. So he was a contemporary. They knew each other. And he, um, Jesus, Volant. Is he a Volant? Oh, Jesus. Later, I'm going to, I'll think, I'll be, oh, still in my mind. So I did a, a treatment um, of his, and we were talking about cyanotypes. So I had in my mind a kind of like a cyanotype treatment of um, our artist here. Yeah, so that was the finished, uh, the finished print. <coughs> oh. So my name is Martin Loft. I gave my introduction earlier, and I'm just, we're going through sides and
talking. I'm talking to the mic here too. <laughs> so this is a, a photo. I, I worked in the cultural center at Ganoa. We have many, many photos. Uh, some of them are from families. Some of them are, are very well identified. Uh, many are so old um, that families donate images and they don't know who the, who the people are. They know that they may be from their family. They may So it's kind of like, um, to me, it's almost like a representation. All of them represent all of us. You know, so um, this is a family portrait of, of, uh, of a family from Ganawage and surrounded by um, a wampum belt treatment with the phases of the moon or representations of the moon. So there's a, a, a combination of, um, of uh, women's power, men's power, kind of like the equilibrium, the balance that is, that is there. And um, I, uh, I was kind of influenced, I would say, in a, in a way too by, um, of all things, um, quilting. If you've seen quilts, indigenous quilts, I know um, we have a famous one in Ganawage. Carla Hemlock is, again, too, like famous. She's famous in the indigenous art world, in a sense. You know, she's, she's, she's done some amazing, amazing works in quilts. So it kind of like, I would say, I have to give her credit that it's kind of influenced by that sort of uh, aesthetic. <clears throat> and the grass is my, my front lawn, my home. <laughs> So, this is from the bottom part, minus the dots, is part of a, um, a very famous uh, Iroquoian tattoo that uh, was on um, a warrior's chest. He had several tattoos on his arms and his face, and it's, it's, it's one of the rare representations of indigenous or of Iroquoian tattoo work. You know, so today, young people who, who do are, are reviving uh, the, the tattoo um, kind of uh, art form, you know. They're influenced by these early images, this, this one in particular. And for me, it, it spoke, it spoke to, for me. And I also, so I did a, a kind of like a double, a double um, I reworked it a bit and added dots. And, it is um, <clears throat> kind of a, um, an homage, I guess, an homage to the fellow in the background. That's my dad. My dad. And he was um, a residential school survivor. He would have been 98, I think, right now. Uh, he entered uh, residential school in 1927, and he stayed for 17 years. Um, and people are familiar, familiar, you're, you, you're familiar with the residential school system. I don't know if you're familiar with the residential school system. So, you know, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was a plot by the Canadian, it wasn't a plot, it was like right out in the open. It was, it was a policy to uh, basically, you know, uh, destroy families, destroy language, destroy culture and just squeeze people into, um, you know, the Canadian mainstream and that sort of stuff. So my, so my dad, I mean, history is, um, 
It's like, uh, it's not an abstraction to a lot of people <laughs> in Ganawagi and whatever. That, you know, the heavy hand that, you know, of colonialism, it's, it's like, you, we can still taste it sometimes. Anyhow, so we worked together, believe it or not, on a movie called Grey Owl. We worked on a movie called Grey Owl with Richard Attenborough and uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan. We spent uh, about 10 days together in Oka, at Oka Park filming, uh, filming this uh, television movie that uh, was on TV. It wasn't too great. It was, it was an experience. So anyway, this is a, a photo of him and I connected it with our past and, you know, to say, you know, we're still here. This is still who we are. And, you know, unfortunately for him, when he entered residential school, he was a unilingual speaking Kanyakeha speaker, Mohawk speaker. And when he left, he was a unilingual English speaking kid who, uh, you know, struggled with learning his language. You know, it's funny, <clears throat> in, uh, right after Oka, um, in the 1990s, everybody's familiar with Oka. It happened in the 1990s. Um, there were um, there were um, like uh, social workers and psychologists that came. And, oh, how could we we help the people? You know, people are suffering from post-traumatic stress. Are you suffering from? So they had all these kinds of programs. I guess people were casting a wide net and saying, well, maybe something will work for these people from Oka. And one of them was. Um, was um, hypnotherapy. <clears throat> so in hypnotherapy, they promised the promise or the the uh, the benefit was that well they'll cure you of your uh, post-traumatic stress, you know, and if you are uh, someone who spoke a language at one time as a child, because he spoke until he was. Uh, six years old. So he at six, a six-year-old entering grade one. You know, you can express, you know, 99% of what you can express and, you know, you're still a child. So they, uh, they said, well, they're going to send hypnotherapists <clears throat> and any residential school survivor who's lost their language can go see the hypnotherapist. You work with the hypnotherapist. Anyway, my dad, my dad went and sadly he wasn't one of the ones who, uh, in fact, I don't think anybody uh, remembered their language. <clears throat> but with him, uh, he used to say that... Um, my mother was a speaker of the language and, and my aunts and uncles and everything. And so for him, he would say every now and then, you know, like he understood exactly what they were saying. He understood, like, if I had to say something, I could say it. But when he went to say it, it just, he, he, he couldn't make the words. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't do these things. <clears throat> and then on top of it, he said, well, the language I use they were like really old words, you know, that people don't even use today. Anyway, so that was that picture. And it, it was featured on the cover of uh, Isabelle Saint-Armand's book, uh, Stories of Oka, recently. And um, apparently it's doing well. And she's, uh, she's selling them and she's a very nice woman. And she did reflections on uh, representation in, in art and culture and... Uh, news media on the Oka, Oka crisis and how that kind of formed um, the ideas and opinions of, of people <coughs> today doing those skills. Okay, one. So this is my ode to our game of lacrosse, past and uh, present. Uh, lacrosse is the creator's game. 
people uh, play lacrosse and historically had played lacrosse to uh, to soothe, to make the creator happy, so that you know we could continue to enjoy all of the things. So we, we talk about a balance. We talk about you know things that have to be in balance. And one of the one of the one of the things is uh, health and physical health and well-being and social cohesion. So people have lacrosse games, kind of like a like a hockey game, I suppose, you know. But you know, for for reasons that you know, aren't as, um, I guess, visible if you go to a, you know, a lacrosse tournament in Oshawa or something. The kids aren't playing necessarily uh, that way, but uh, now with the, um, with the, um, the, um, the professional leagues, they are attracting many Indigenous players and some of their top players are, are, are indigenous, are Ondaga players, Cayuga players, Seneca players. The Thompson brothers are, you know, world famous in, um, in um, what is it called now? The, not double A, what is the, uh, the, the American uh, college system? Oh Jesus, I can't even think of the name. But the, the top tier uh, university uh, lacrosse programs in the U.S., you know, they, they just, I think they, they were there in, in, in the leagues for about three or four years and they just like blew out every, every record. So, move on. So that's the, the print over here. So this, this is the circle of chiefs. And this is of course North America and South America and the eagle that flies over and all of them are, are um, symbols and metaphors, you know. The North America is considered our, the Turtle Island. Uh, the South is, um, and the Eagle, well, there's no condor, but the, the Eagle and the condor encircled by the circle of chiefs. And the chiefs are a symbol for in, in, uh, in wampum belts uh, and in um, wood art and so on. As, um, as, and, and joined hands is, is, a, is a, a symbol, a metaphor, for, uh, for community, for strength, for power, and then held within almost like the umbrella of our culture. So as an indigenous, as an Iroquois person, as a Mohawk person, you know, your name, your culture, your history, your traditions are all within a circle of uh, like a family, split up into the clans, into, into these things. And, um, well, I think as, as, as indigenous, as Iroquois artists, you'll, you'll find a lot of this that, that's in there. <clears throat> so, this is my skana piece. <laughs> and skana is uh, peace. It literally means peace. Yeah, skana. So, um, I'm going to have to do the power and the righteousness. Because there's, uh, when, the, when they say that the, the peacemaker came, um, that was his, his whole thing. He, 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 he gave the great law, how to live your life, how, to, how to, be, to make decisions, how to give men power, how to give women power, how to give families power. And that's what uh, they said, that, um, that there was peace, power, and righteousness, which would be like the good life, the life that see, will see your, your people live you know, forever kind of deal. And so that, that is uh, mine. So again, the wampum belts in the middle, 
the beadwork patterns, and each one represents uh, their mountains, and on the top of the mountain, like uh, trees. So it's again too like a reminder of um, of the tree of peace, of um, you know the mountains that that we see, that we <clears throat> that we love, that we climb, that we cross, valleys, of course. This is a screen print of um, Frank Nettaway, Aguirdeas. He's a he's a friend of mine. So I've done some screen printing on canvas as well, and I framed them. So I just added that one. My voice is starting to go. Ingo. <laughs> so again, I used uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine is a is a big fan of um, Apocalypse Now, so. You can see Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now in the background. You see it, and I put that I put the that image over it. <clears throat> and she was supposed to get a tattoo made of it. I, I'm not sure exactly if she got it done, but anyway, so you can go. And that's uh, Aguirreias again. That's a woodcut in uh, Russian birch. That's about uh, four feet by about seven. So it was a pretty big thing. I used Dremels, I used drills, I used gouges. I did, uh, I did a whole bunch of things. And uh, I did some work at a place called uh, Atelier Sim, the Santra something or other, a stamped uh, Mirabelle uh, <clears throat> out in Mirabelle, Quebec. They ran a program, Susie uh, Pilon, Susie Pilon. <clears throat> ran this program that, like, I think she's, she's, they closed the shop now, I'd say about maybe seven years, but it was, it was ahead of its time, it's like a, prog a program, a project, a, a thing that should have gone on forever, anyhow, she had a, a, an artist studio, they did litho, they did etching, they did offset, uh, they had a digital lab, and she was uh, she got support from from the um, the, mir the municipality, from the region, from I think a little bit from the band council, and for I believe seven years, she recruited uh, artists, young artists from Ganesadage, to go into this program, and they learned printmaking from from like nothing, to creating the most beautiful prints. Anyway, this was about the last uh, year of operation, and I got in there, and I, I did a little bit of work with them. And um, not long after, um, <clears throat> again, like a lot of good things, the, uh, the funding um, kind of like uh, disappeared, vanished, evaporated. And, you know, it, it was a beautiful place that should have gone on forever, and unfortunately it didn't, but anyway, move along. So I brought along some of my uh, lino cuts, and these are, these are some of them. I don't know if that's the last print. <laughs> these, are, these are some of them. Oh, so little close-ups close of, uh, of some of the pieces. I'm a fan of uh, German expressionist uh, uh, woodcuts and lino cuts. I think, you know, they, the, the, the austere, <laughs> the black and the white, I find, is, is very appealing. For me, anyway, it has a very 
Like I was, I was telling, I did a workshop earlier today, and it's like, <clears throat> you know, people who 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 are into and everybody has a right to be very uh, detailed and ornate or very like you know like perfection and you know, all this. Well, I I find the best work in, in woodcut and lino <clears throat> is very graphic and bold, you know, and then, and it looks like it looks like someone just like stamped it, stamped. It's like whoa, there it is. And and I and today there was there was some, I would say most of them, I gave them their marching orders. I said I want bold. I want, you know, graphic has to be, and and I was really thrilled that so many people, you know really created work that was like right on so this is uh, i'll just go back so people can make it out there's my familiar uh, circle of chiefs again and there's the earth in the background and this figure that is flying in the front is uh oh de. anyway a, it has to do with a face it's a flying face a flying head <clears throat> and what it is is um they call them it's like a harbinger of things that could go wrong or a warning. So I kind of placed him in space. I, I placed our chiefs in space and I, and I included uh, a satellite. You know, to say that we have to worry about everything. You know? We have to worry about space. <clears throat> we have to worry about these things. We have to be in balance with, with nature, with the moon, with the sun, with the stars. And, um, you know, <clears throat> in, um, in, um, in the Mohawk language, and I, I worked with uh, someone and she just loved this expression. It's like, oh, damn, that's a good expression. And it, it stuck with me. So um, she says, And she practically punched the table. You know, So, skana is one of them. Is like uh, power. <clears throat> so I'm, I've got to get to the uh, righteousness now. I've got to figure out that one. Is, but it's like, <clears throat> and she says, and so, well, what does it mean? You know, I mean, I kind of get what you're saying. <clears throat> but she said, it's, it's the great natural life force of the universe. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> That's, it's, it's like it's, you know, like reverberating, you know, like shaking. And it's like, you know, we're part of it, right? We're part of everything that is, uh, you know, the stars and the mo I, You know, um, there's a, well, there's an elder in Ganoagi. He always does this. He's like, the stars and the moon and our mother, the earth. And it's like so freaking true, you know? It's like, it's like people tease him. People tease him because he's so, like, into it. But it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. Anyway, that was my, my stab at yeah, we were speaking earlier about this image. This is um, from one of the early, I guess, standoffs in, in North America at Wounded Knee, so Wounded Knee, South Dakota. Um, they're, they're, and on, on the map, it's a humongous Indian reservation. They have like great expanses of the plains and you name it. And there are like 30 towns inside the territory of the Sioux Nation. <clears throat> If I said 70% of the land, it probably is 80%. I could probably Google it. But much of their land is um, rented out to ranchers. And I guess now there's probably even like a fracking going on. There's like, you know, so the people who, who, 
the great Sioux Nation, you know, that is an icon of the American, you know, psyche or whatever it is. I mean, they're literally getting shafted today. And they were shafted in 74. And on a certain level, you know, they, <clears throat> they said enough is enough. And they stood up to, uh, to empire. You know, they stood up to the American army. The, the, all of the forces that are out there that were, were you know, could have uh, squashed them like a bug. And with the power of their media, with the power of their whatever, they would have buried that story so fast, so well, so perfectly. People would have said, what is it? Anyway, so that was my homage to, uh, to these fellows. And, of course, the, their association to the buffalo you know, was all important. And, you know, it's like these United States, which United States? You know, <laughs> like it's like the natives of the United States. And for me, it, it was also, you know, a kind of reminder of indigenous struggles here and how, you know, we, it's a small world. And, um, you know, our, our, our people in Ganawag and Akwazasne and Six Nations, you know, had connections. You know, the web of, you know, Indian nations that existed long before Europeans arrived here, you know, crisscrossed cross North America, and it's still here. It's still there. You know, there still are connections. You know, people were on that, on that uh, scene. People in Ganawage and Akwazasne Mohawks were at Alcatraz when people took over Alcatraz. They were at, you know, Pitt River, and they were at all of these um, kind of uh, manifestations, you know, to to say enough is enough, you know. And like I was telling uh, Stefan, you know, that I would say in in virtually every case that people, you know, made an action, stood up faced off with, uh, you know, odds greater than they would ever be able to handle, um, you know, they were right. You know, they were right. <laughs> you know, you have to save the land. You have to save the waters. You have to save the trees. You have to do all these things so that, you know, the generations can, can continue, that the earth and our mother earth can survive. And, you know, long before you know, the popular worldview was that, uh, you know, it's progress, you know, people, the trees should be cut and cleared and farmed because it's progress. Well, you know, there are people who, who you know, stand up and have, are attuned to these, to these issues. And I would say my own feeling is that, you know, in almost every case, people can argue it, I guess, but my, I personally feel that you know, the, the struggles are almost always, they're almost always in the right. Here's my parents, my dad to the left, my mom to the right. Um, he actually had a shirt with uh, caribou, with uh, moose, <laughs> had moose caribous. So they're both passed away and it was, again, my, my homage to, to my parents uh, for sticking it out, for raising eight of us. And um, we have one Mohawk speaker in my family. My sister is uh, a Mohawk teacher, and um, she's doing she's doing well. And then myself and all all our all our our brothers and sisters and our children are are doing well. And uh, my mom is a 
She was a Catholic, a very, uh, you know, loved her religion. And she was a, uh, a singer in the choir. They um, had a, a well-known Mohawk choir in the community. Um, of course, most of that is disappearing now. There are very few people who sing in the Mohawk language. And uh, especially for Catholics, they have, uh, when you die as a, as a Catholic Mohawk, um, similar to a tradition that we have in the longhouse, singing is an important and integral part of like ushering the soul to, to the next dimension. You know? And in the longhouse, they sing all night long and they play a, a kind of a gambling game that, um, that reminds us, you know, that, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's like, it could be you, it could be, it could be you know, we, we're alive, you know, this kind of thing. Um, so they, they, they move on and in the morning they, um, they offer tobacco and they, they burn um, a belonging of the person to, to, to like release them. You know, like you are released. So in, in the Catholic tradition, even though it's Catholic, they have a similar, a similar thing where they sing throughout the evening and um, they say, and in, in the Longhouse tradition as well, at the very end when you leave this earth to go, you know, through the, the cosmos and you, you cross the, um, the fields of strawberries into the, the creator's land, um, before you go, it's, it's, it's serious. And, um, they, they, they summon your name three times. They call out your name, and it's your Indian name. Your, your Indian name. They summon your name, and then they release you. They burn your belongings. The smoke goes up. The tobacco is offered, and people, people leave, and uh, that sort of thing. So in the, in the Catholic tradition, they do the same thing throughout the evening. They, they sing songs that... You know, the Jesuits uh, brought in 1667 and were translated uh, into our language. And they, um, <clears throat> they say the three words. And then afterwards, in, in the Catholic tradition, you eat. You, they, they offer food and people eat. And it's like, you know, they're, they're gone. You know, they're, you know, you can call them back every now and then. You can do these things, but you know you recognize that they're gone. So even even on on that level, that tradition is uh, sliding away. <laughs> if I'm babbling, I told them <clears throat> I was up at 4:30 this morning, and I I did a two-hour drive into Montreal. I did a workshop at Concordia with 25 printmaking students, and it was like frazzled for three and a half hours. So I'm a little I'm a little frazzled right now. 